0: Allow you to do is journey life with someone, ask those questions, wrestle with those tough subjects and questions that you have about God, and they're honestly just the best to have a great bunch of people doing life with you. If you want to join a small group, we've got a whole bunch that look quite different all throughout the week. There is definitely one with you, with you, with your name on it. So make sure you go see the info area after the service. We would love to get you into a small group. If that's good, say that's good. Man, we're having fun today. I can already tell we're laughing in church, which is good. We should laugh in church. Jesus isn't still dead. He, he rose up. That's a good thing. We celebrate. We're going to have a good time. Now, my name is Adam, and along with my wife, Darcy, who spoke a brilliant message this morning, if you were here, my goodness. It's like one of the situations like you're happy for her, but then you feel real discouraged that you're not as good, so, um, but she was awesome. Uh, Whether Youth and Young Adults pastors here, welcome, especially if it is your first time. We're so glad that you've joined us. Uh, this is not just an event, but we're a family, and there's always room for one more. And so we're so glad that you're here. We're gonna, I'm gonna, we're, we are going to go through a message together. Um, at the top of your notes, you got as you came through the door, it's called, Do All of God's Commandments Still Apply Today? Now, I know just from that title, you're pumped on life. If that doesn't get the blood pumping, I don't know what will. Um, I want to say this right from the outset, I could have titled this message, The Incredible Grace of God, and we would be speaking about the same thing. I want us to go on a journey today, and I believe that God is going to speak to a whole bunch of people, and for many of you, you, the way that you see God, the way that you interact with Him will never be the same again. I believe that with all my heart, um, I cannot wait. Now, last night was the Elam College School Ball. Is there any students in here that went to that, or are they still sleeping? Did you go, how did you, you're not, how? You're too old. Are you joking? Sick joke. I like that. Okay. <laughs> Joshua, did you go to the school ball? Was it Flash? Did you have a date? My man. But I never had a date. All throughout the school balls, I was saving it for my wife. I don't know what I was saving, my dates. But um, anyway, <laughs> last night was the Elon College school ball. Now I was thinking about it and um in light of the message I'm gonna to share today. I remember going to the, the school ball when I was in year 12 at Pacaranga College. Oh, what a time to be alive. Uh, <laughs> I remember being year 12, but I remember that back then I looked like I was 13, I had no date, and I was super scrawny, right? Nowadays, I'm 30, I'm married, and I closely resemble the Hulk, Hulk okay? But <laughs> that was not a joke, my friends, okay? No, it was, it was a bad situation. I used to turn up everywhere and people used to ask me whose little brother that I was um, and I was older than all of them. But anyway, I remember going to school ball and I remember being really excited to build memories that would last a lifetime. And so we decided that year that we would make our way to the Ellerslie Convention Centre in style by hiring out a horse and carriage to trot ourselves along to the venue. Oh, snap, that was gonna be good, right? Now, I didn't think too much Really, about how the horse and carriage would actually get us to the venue because I was a teenage boy and they don't think about anything, right? So there I was, like I don't even know how I got there, but I was on the horse and carriage and I remember approaching a really busy intersection as I was giving everyone my best Queen Elizabeth impersonation out of the carriage. Mm, Salutations, yes. And as we approached this huge intersection, I started to freak out. It suddenly dawned on me how the heck were we gonna make our way through this intersection with all of these zooming cars? Like big, busy, like green lane intersection and I'm freaking out. And then right before my very eyes, one of the horse trainers, she walks out into the middle of the road like a barbarian. She lifts her hand, she stops the traffic and we just <laughs> walked our way through. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is amazing. And so when we finally arrived at the Allardley Convention Centre earlier than everyone else so they couldn't see our horse and carriage, I... <laughs> I remember being amazed at what had just happened. And I said to one of the horse trainers, I was like, how, how did that just happen back there? We just walked onto and She goes, oh, didn't you know? I was like, clearly I didn't know. I'm asking you. She said, didn't you know, uh, horses have right of way on all New Zealand roads? I thought, what? I thought, that's crazy. I remember in that moment thinking, that would make sense back in the olden days But I couldn't believe that such an old-sounding, somewhat irrelevant-seeming law would still apply today. And turns out it does. If you don't give way to a horse on a road, you're actually breaking the law. Now, who would have thought that such an old law like that would still apply today? Who would have thought that even though it seemed irrelevant, you would be deemed guilty if you break it? You know, there's some other laws that were set in place for a particular people at a particular time back in the day. And surprisingly, They still apply today. I'm gonna share some of them with you, brought to you by our good friends, America, all right? Yeah, this is your nation. In Arizona, if you cut down a cactus, you could spend 25 years in prison. How good? They love their cacti. In Ohio, policemen are allowed to bite a dog if they think it will calm them down. How good? In what world does biting something calm it down? In Texas, it's illegal to sell your eyeballs. For real. In Rhode Island, you may not sell toothpaste and a toothbrush to the same customer on a Sunday. I was thinking, what one would I choose? All right, what one would you choose? You can only get one. Hands up if you are uh, toothbrush. That's me. Hands up if you toothpaste. Really? You're just gonna put it on your teeth and just be done with it? I feel like non pasted brushing is better than, anyway. Uh, in Arizona, if you are found stealing soap, like a bar of soap, you must wash yourself until the bar of soap has been completely used up. <laughs> Does someone enforce that? Do they just like, what? I don't know, like, talk about coming clean. Anyway. <laughs> huh? People are generally good I think that's fair to assume. Most people are out there to follow the law, to do the right thing and keep out of trouble. For most of us, we understand that honoring God requires obedience and faithfulness. Now, to be honest, for myself, I find it quite easy to know what God is asking me to do. I find it quite easy to understand the life that God is calling me to live, right? Most of the time, right? So like, don't murder, tick. Don't worry, I can tick that one. Don't commit adultery, tick. Don't shave the sides of my head, sure, I suppose. Don't muzzle my ox while it treads grain. Um, I can't say I've ever had an ox. But when I do, I assure you, it will be muzzled. Don't steal. Tick. Don't lie. Tick. There are 613 different laws in the Bible. Do you know that? 613 different laws in the Bible. And as I read those, I thought, man, does God actually expect us to follow all of these? Like, what if I've never even heard of 90% of them? Does God actually expect us to follow all of these laws? And if they don't all apply, then how do we know which ones do and which ones don't? That's the journey I want to take us on tonight. See, in order to navigate this and understand this properly, we have to start right at the beginning with the knowledge that God created us for relationship. Yeah, He didn't want minions. We weren't an experiment, but he created us to be close to him and to know him. We were created to be holy just as God is holy. And so God has his chosen people, which is the nation of Israel, and he wants them to be set apart. He wants them to be different from those around him. He wants this nation to be the nation that he works in first before using them to reach, save, and bless every other nation And so rather than releasing this nation to their own governance, God begins to establish a whole bunch of different laws that fall into three different categories. Now, these laws weren't binding and controlling as it may sound, but actually they were an expression of God's grace. The reason for that is you had a whole bunch of people that desperately wanted to know God, they wanted to love Him, they wanted to live a life that would honor God, but how on earth were they expected to figure out how to do that? Well, God shows them how by introducing these different laws. You know, imagine you had kids, some of you don't need to imagine. Uh, ma- imagine you had kids and you didn't give them any rules. You just waited and you just watched. And the moment they broke a rule they didn't know existed, smackdown, right? Like, not real, like proverbial smackdown, because it'd be against the law to give them a real smackdown, right? But you just punish them. The moment they broke a law that they didn't even know existed, they broke a rule that you would never set. I can tell you now, I'm pretty sure, I ain't no parent or expert, but I'm pretty sure it would be hard for your children to honor you. It would be hard for your children to to live a life that was pleasing to you. And so in order to produce a people that God desired, he establishes laws that fall into three different categories. We have judicial and civil law, right? Same thing, judicial and civil law, ceremonial law, and moral law i know you are riveted this is this is good ceremonial moral and the other one is judicial and civil now the bible isn't explicit on which Category each of these 613 laws fall into, right? But because we can clearly identify the reason, the purpose, the meaning behind each category, and we know God's heart, we're able to decipher which law falls into which category. And I wanna just spend a few moments tonight to touch on each three of the categories, but it's for a reason. I want us to be able to come to a conclusion at the end and understand what this means for us as Christians. And I promise you, it is super exciting. Is that cool? So let's go through this a little bit systematically so that we can gain a better understanding and a better revelation, my heart is that you would grab a better understanding of God's heart towards you today. So the first one is ceremonial laws. They should be in your notes there. Ceremonial laws. These literally translate to mean customs of the nation and these were given to Moses. Now, it's important to know that the law wasn't given to Christians, okay? It wasn't. It was given to Jewish people in the nation of Israel. They had their own culture, they had their own values, they had their own way of life. And God establishes these laws that speak right into that situation. This means that all ceremonial laws carry the purpose, right, this is important, they carry the purpose of producing a nation that God desired that producing a nation and a people that God desired. And so they include a few things. It should be up on the screen. They include instructions on regaining right standing with God, right? Things like sacrifices and other ceremonies regarding cleanliness. They include remembrances of God's work in Israel. So things about feasts and festivals. They include regulations to distinguish Israelites from their pagan neighbors. Remember, the Israelites were called to be set apart. So this is things like the food that they ate and the clothing that they wore. Why? Because God's people were called to be different. God's people, they were gonna eat different, they were gonna dress different, they would be set apart as a nation. God wanted them to be his prized possession and a royal priesthood. It includes signs that point towards the coming Messiah. So any laws we read about the Sabbath, circumcision, Passover, and redemption of the firstborn, all right? Galatians chapter three, verse 23 to 25. This helps explain it a bit better than I can because it's the Bible, of course it does. All right, verse 23, Galatians three twenty-three. it says, before the way of faith in Christ was made available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Verse 24, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us Until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. So, ceremonial law was for a particular people at a particular time with one of its main purposes to foreshadow, right? To come before and point towards the coming of Christ. And so, it taught people about their need for blood sacrifice and atonement. They foreshadowed, they came before and they pointed towards uh, the coming of Christ in the way that they pointed towards the coming of the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Animal sacrifices that we read about in the Bible, these were just a symbol of the salvation that Christ would eventually provide. And so Paul distinguishes the difference between those parts of the law that would be set aside at the coming of Christ and those parts of the law that would remain timeless. He's telling us that because of what Christ did, we are no longer bound by the ceremonial laws, but that this does not release us to sin as we please. Paul says this in Galatians 5:2. He says, "Listen, I Paul tell you this, if you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you." This is really important because what he's saying to the people that are getting this all mixed up, he's like, so, so right now you think you can be made right with God by getting circumcised, which was one of the laws. You think that your obedience to do what you've been asked to do gives you right standing of God. And if that's how you're trying to achieve righteousness, by your obedience, then what Jesus came to do would be a waste of time. He's that like, you're focusing on the wrong thing. But because Jesus came to fulfill the law and give you a new way to be made right with God, which is faith, you no longer are bound by this. So he's talking to these people and he's like, stop getting caught up on your obedience. He's like, you can, I mean, you can go get circumcised if you want to, like you do you, like up to you, but that's fine. Just know that it won't produce righteousness in your life. This is so important. And this is one of those really tough subjects that we as Christians have to wrestle with and get our mind around. Is God saying that we no longer have to be obedient? No, but that our obedience doesn't achieve the thing that perhaps we think it does. Obedience is great. Obedience produces a life that God can work with, a life that God desires, but it cannot produce righteousness in us. Romans 6, verse one to two, Paul continuing, he says, well, then should we just keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? He answers his own question. He's the man. He says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? A few verses later. He says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Again, of course not. You see, being freed from being under the law doesn't give us freedom to go and do whatever we want. It gives us freedom to rely on God's grace to make us righteous rather than our obedience. Now there's 613 laws in the Bible and many of them can be identified as these ceremonial laws. They weren't for us, but that doesn't mean that they're useless to us. They show us what God was doing to produce a people that would love him dearly, who would be set apart for the call on their life and for the long-term plan of redemption through the blood of his precious son. And so you wanna have a better idea on how to love God, on how to honor God with your life, look to some of these ceremonial laws, but understand that your obedience to them cannot and it will not bring salvation to your life. We are no longer under this tutor that points us towards Christ because Christ has already come and so we are made righteous as a result of our faith in Him, not our obedience to it. Does that make sense? Kind of, sort of. That's ceremonial law, all right? The next one, and this one's much shorter, I can promise you that, is judicial and civil law. Same thing, right? That's the same same category, judicial and civil law. This one's gonna make a whole lot of sense pretty quickly, I hope. Civil laws were established by God to help enforce, govern, and establish the moral laws and some of the ceremonial ones, I, That sounds confusing. I'm gonna continue to explain. They were put in place to help enforce the moral laws and a few of the ceremonial ones, right? Moral laws were there to guide people in living peaceful, complementary lives with one another. And civil laws not only concern themselves with enforcing those, but some of the ceremonial ones as well. I'll give you an example, right? It's one thing to have a law of do not murder. But if you've got nothing to enforce that and no penalty if someone were to do it, then people don't give a rip they cast off restraint. What sort of law is that if I don't actually have to follow it? If there's nothing in place to make me follow it and no punishment if I don't. So when we think of the law in New Zealand, like we're gonna go and follow the law, this is our equivalent of their civil laws. These are in place to create harmony among people, to solidify what God deems is important and to help aid people in honoring God with their obedience. Old Testament civil laws include everything from murder to restitution for a man gored by an ox, to the responsibility of a man who digs a pit to rescue his neighbor's donkey if it falls in the pit, right? Like he has a responsibility to rescue the donkey. So it's just these things set in place. Civil law were for the Israelites and the foreigners in Israel at the time. Simply put, they were the law for the people in that nation at that time, kind of like what we have here in New Zealand. Therefore, we are no longer bound by them. We are no longer under them because Christ came to fulfill the law and give us a new way to be made righteous, which is faith. That's judicial and civil law. And now we're gonna move on to moral laws. It's like a class. But you're all listening so well. That's not like your old selves. <laughs> Isaac, hey, I was a good student. <laughs> yeah. you, you were, you were the best. Okay, moral laws relate to justice and judgment and are often translated as ordinances. If you read the word ordinances, you can often be referring to these. They are based on God's holy nature, which means that they are holy, just, and unchanging. Because God is never changing, he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, we can know that moral laws are also unchanging and timeless. They are an expression of who God is. And because God never changes, we can be so confident that these laws apply as much today as the day that they were first given. Moral laws are quite easy to identify, firstly, because they are moral in nature. And secondly, that they are deemed obvious by reason and common sense. You know, the main difference between moral laws and ceremonial law, which is the one we spoke about at the beginning that we were like pointing people toward Jesus, the main difference is that you wouldn't know you were breaking a ceremonial law unless God had stated it. Like to some extent, they're a little bit random. To some extent, you don't naturally know it exists until God comes in and says, hey, do this, don't do this. And you're like, cool, I can be obedient to that. Whereas moral law, it's deemed in the Bible already written on our hearts we know instinctively what is right from wrong before we've even heard it said moral laws include regulations on justice respect and sexual conduct and they also include the 10 commandments that uh, we read were given to moses with the exception of the sabbath all right that one doesn't count that's something different this is what's important to know about moral law moral law in no way whatsoever points people towards christ All right, I know that's the bad news. It simply illuminates, it highlights the fallen state of mankind. They highlight our sinfulness when we break them, but in no way do they point towards the solution of forgiveness. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky. And this is where I think it's all gonna come together and begin to make a little bit more sense, even though it's tricky. But you guys are smart. Because Jesus came to fulfill the law, not abolish it, it means technically we're not bound by these moral laws. Now, hold the phone before you run out and do something barbarian and like take out someone you've always wanted to take out. Even though we're not actually bound by these moral laws, it would still be a sin to break them. There's this common misconception that the Old Testament... Right, which is the time from the the beginning in Genesis all the way up to the end of Malachi, the Old Testament, the time before Jesus. There's this common misconception that the Old Testament is like an old agreement and there's a whole bunch of mistakes. And so then like a New Testament agreement was coming just to replace it. Now the Bible does say that one is old and one is new, but that the new isn't a direct overlapping. It's not an overriding of the old. And Jesus clarifies this in Matthew 5, 17. He says, look, don't misunderstand why I've come I did not come to abolish, I didn't come to get rid of the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. See, their purpose was to reveal to people that they needed a savior. Their purpose was to highlight the fallen state of mankind, to highlight people that they needed a savior and a Messiah that would die for substitutionary atonement. right, that's simpler than it sounds. When you're in school and you have a substitute teacher, another teacher comes in and teaches instead of what your teacher should have done, right? They stand in the place. So for substitutionary atonement, what Jesus came to do, it means he stood in the place, he paid the price that you and I deserve to pay for our sin so that our sins are atoned, they're forgiven, they're accounted for, and no longer do we owe anything. So Jesus came and paid the price that we deserve to pay in our place. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40, says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, the man, tried to trap him with this question. They said, "Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses?" Maybe you've heard this before. Jesus replied, "You must love the Lord your God with your heart, or your soul, and or your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important: love your neighbor." As yourself, the entire law, he says, he's talking about all 613, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. This is massive, the boldness of the Jesus. Like this is huge. This is Jesus talking to these religious leaders saying, "Mm, they're missing the point. They're not understanding. He goes, you guys are so caught up in every single little law and you've become so religious about it that you're forgetting why they even exist. He's frustrated with these guys. That you're missing the point as to why any of the laws were even in place in the, first time, in the first place. Jesus summarizes to help them understand the purpose of the law, right? This is a perfect example of the difference between how guys tell stories and how girls tell stories, all right? If I were to tell you a story, which I'm about to, someone said, oh, sad. I I would tell you a story like this. The other day, I went to Rainbow's Inn with some friends because we hadn't been in a while. We decided to go on the Fair Fall first because apparently it was the best ride. It was the perfect start to our day. Not a bad story. Now, this is how Darcy would tell you the same story, okay? (laughs) (laughs) watch myself, oh gosh, sleeping on the couch. (laughs) She would say this, the other day, We decided to go to Rainbow's Inn with some friends because we hadn't been in a while. I think it was six months ago, maybe seven. Nah, I think it it was six months ago. But we went with Sarah and John. But Sarah, I remember, had to meet us a little bit later that day. So we met at John's house. Once we met, we traveled in at about 10 a.m. And when we arrived, my goodness, there was a long line. But luckily, the line only took us about 20 minutes to get inside. And when we got in, I was like, yo, let's go, fearful. But John wanted to go on the bumper boats. But I've been telling John the whole time that we needed to go on the fearful first because apparently it was the best ride. So we chatted about it for about five minutes before we walked about 200 metres to the fearful. When we got there, we took our phones, our wallets, our keys out of the pocket. We put it in one of those little grey trays. And then finally, we were sitting in the seat and I was next to old Sarah. She was freaking out. And then all of a sudden, boom, we were up to the top and the view was so beautiful. But then I started freaking out. I had no idea when the thing was gonna drop down. Then all of a sudden, it did. And I was screaming like halfway, nah, maybe three quarters of the way, all the way to the bottom. It was the perfect start to our day. Now, you might... <laughs> Is that not true, what happens? Now, you might like Darcy's version of the story better, right? But the way I would tell the story would just be a little bit more to the point. Now, it's, it's not that the details don't matter. It's not that the details are irrelevant. But when I'm telling the story, I just wanna get across the main thing. So I'm thinking, if there's someone that's gonna hear our story, as long as they hear that we went on the fearful first, we're good. That, that, that's really all I want them to understand. And this is what Jesus is doing right here as he's summarizing these laws. Apologies, let me just find myself. Yeah, this is what Jesus is doing. <laughs> when he's summarizing, if I, if I go off my notes, we'll be here till Christmas. So I've got to, you know, like, i oh, will stick to it. He's summarizing this and he's like, look, If What you need to understand about all 613 laws is as long as you hear that it's about loving God and loving people, then really you've heard what needs to be understood. He's like, man, you guys are so caught up in all the details, but you're missing the point as to why it exists. And so he summarizes 613 laws into just two Love God and love people. He's saying any part of any part of the whole law is to help us love God better and love people better. Now, because Jesus was the one that many of these ceremonial laws were pointing towards, now that he has come, those laws have served their purpose. It's not that they're abolished, but that Jesus has fulfilled them and made complete what they were set out to do, to prepare a nation, to prepare a people for the coming Messiah. You know, in Matthew 5, 17, the verse I read earlier, that said Jesus came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. That word fulfill means to fill up, make full, fill completely full, fill to the full or complete. That was confusing. So Jesus came to magnify and fill completely full the purpose of God's law. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to 23. And I think this is, he nails it on the head. He says, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths, for these rules are only a shadow of the reality to come and Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pure self-denial or the worship of angels saying that they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about the things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pure self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Paul here is talking about the ceremonial laws. See, Jesus summarizes the laws and and the commands of the prophets by saying, look, I know you want to get along and you want to try and please God by ticking all the boxes. It's like, I can do that one and that one and that one and that one and that one. He's like, it's too long, it's too hard, you can't do it. The way that you tick all of the boxes is just tick these two. That's it. If you can actually genuinely love God and actually genuinely love people, then you're going to fulfill the whole purpose of all of the laws, right? So if you actually love God, you're clearly not worshipping other idols or bowing down before false gods. If you actually love your neighbour as yourself, you're not stealing their things, lying to them or committing adultery with their spouse. Remember that the purpose of the law was to direct people towards living a holy and righteous life for God's people to be set apart, to prepare the way for the coming of Christ and to enable us to live peaceful and harmonious lives together. Jesus didn't replace the old law, but he just summarized it and gave us a new way to follow it. So when Jesus came, right, there was a whole bunch of people that were really quick to accept the grace and the mercy offered. They're like, awesome. Like how good, grace and mercy, I could be forgiven for anything. And then there were a whole bunch of other people that were like, "Mm, not so sure about this this looks dangerous. They're like, are you meaning to tell me God's grace could forgive anything, like anything? They saw this as dangerous because they felt like people would just cast off restraint. Like everyone would turn into barbarians and, and everything would be crazy. And Paul addresses this in Romans chapter six. For the sake of time, I'm not gonna read it, but essentially he says this in Romans chapter six. He says, shall we sin so that grace can abound? Should we just go on and do lots of sin? Because don't worry, there's enough grace of God. He says, of course not. This is not the point. You are made righteous by faith in Christ, but that doesn't mean we need to undervalue the value of being obedient. You see, the law shows us what God wants, which is holiness, and grace gives us the desire and the power to be holy. Rather than trusting in the law to save us, we trust in Christ. We are freed from the law's bondage by his once and for all sacrifice. Our faith in Christ should naturally produce a desire to be holy, right? Where there is no impulse to be godly, there's no saving faith. The sort of faith that saves you is the sort of faith that produces this desire in you to be more Christ-like, to take just one little step at a time, just one little step at a time. You don't have to take leaps and bounds. It's just one little step at a time. I wanna be more like Jesus. I wanna live a more righteous life. I wanna live a more holy life. This is what Christ died for to give me. Band, you guys can join me. You see, the law of God is the what, but it's the grace of God that is the how. The law reveals sin so that grace can forgive sin. The law demands performance from man, but grace offers provision from God. And Paul says this in Galatians 5, 1, and I, I feel like you can hear the tone of his voice as he shares this. He says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in bondage to the law. You know, I remember like going through all the study to prepare this message last year and I remember when doing it, I'd never been more aware and to this day I've been impacted even just in my preparation for this at the magnitude of the freedom that Jesus brings to our life. It is incredible. But with freedom comes responsibility. This is not a question of okay, so what can I do and what can't I do? What used to be considered sin and what is now considered sin. But it's about God creating people for relationship, establishing law to help produce a holy people. It's about preparing the world for the coming Messiah. You know what? As, a, as we look at this together, and hopefully this has been highlighted to you, you can see that it's actually always been about Jesus and it's still about Jesus he's the one we look to he's the one that saved us it's not in our own strength but it's in what Jesus already did but I know sometimes on a topic like this you're like hey okay, so like but can I do the thing like <laughs> here's just a couple of uh, quick examples that I often hear and the questions that we often get um, can I get a tattoo <laughs> right because there's a couple of verses in Leviticus that talk about this. I can't give you a comprehensive answer because there isn't one, Um, but I would be like Jesus in this moment, like I try to be most moments, and I would answer your question with a question. I would say, will it hinder you from loving God wholly and loving people fully? That's what you need to answer. The time when in Leviticus we had Shane Willard touch on this a few weeks ago when we had him, he's amazing, but he touched on it. At that time, people were worshiping all these false idols and they were getting tattoos in line with that. So God comes in and says, "Uh, don't do that because right now it's getting in the way of you loving me fully. You're worshiping these false idols. There's a purpose to it. It's to produce produce a holy people and point people towards Christ. And so there isn't a straight up answer, but if you find yourself craving it, if you find yourself subtly worshiping the tattoos that you have, If you found yourself like desperately craving more of it, then perhaps for you it is sin. The question simply is, if it gets in the way of you loving God wholly and loving people fully in any way, then I would say in this regard, we would take the law as applying to ourselves. We don't go along applying that to everybody else because their situation is different. This is a ceremonial law. And although we're not bound by it, it doesn't mean it's not helpful for us to help guide us in a life to love God and love people. Another one, can you wear a garment that has two different threads in it? For real, that's a command. While considering that the ceremonial purpose of telling the Israelites they couldn't wear a garment with two different threads in it. The ceremonial purpose was to set them apart from their pagan neighbours, that they would eat different, they would look different, they would be a different people. The purpose was to set them apart. And now because of what Christ has done on the cross, we are set apart because of that. It's clear to see that the purpose that that command had has already been fulfilled. It's already served its purpose. Its purpose back then was to set people apart. Now because of what Jesus did, it's already been fulfilled. I would say that it's no longer binding. Romans, (laughs) pumped Adrian. (laughs) Romans 6.14 says, sin sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Look, God doesn't encourage us to cast away God's commands, but rather it offers us forgiveness in our broken attempt to live a life that honours God. What's the difference between Old Testament law and New Testament Christianity? It's simply just a whole lot easier to be made righteous before God. Jesus changed the game when He fulfilled what the laws were pointing towards because it's no longer about what we can do to measure up and tick the boxes and it's all about what He's already done to achieve that for us. This is why we celebrate Jesus in church. This is why we declare that there is nobody like Him. We can now have right standing with God through faith and not obedience, but that doesn't mean we cast off the value of being obedient. We're about to finish, but as we do, I just wanna leave you with a couple of questions for you to take away that you can run any law that you read about in the Bible through these questions. This is gonna help you determine whether it still applies or whether it still does and if it hasn't been clear so far. These questions are the number one, does this law symbolize the separation of Jews and Gentiles in the Old Testament? Jews, the Israelites, God's people, Gentiles, everyone else. Does the law symbolize that separation? God wanting His holy people, if so, it's no longer binding. Second question, does it point forward to Christ's atonement on the cross? What He did, paying the price that our sin deserved, so that we could have freedom. If the law's about that, it's no longer binding. Christ has already come to fulfill that for us. Question number three, is the law moral in nature and not canceled in the New Testament? To disobey this would be sin. Final scripture, Second Timothy 3.16. It says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. You know, maybe you've been living your Christian life under this impression that it's your obedience that gives you right standing with God. It pleases God, but it cannot make you righteous. And I wanna say, I know that sounds odd, but this is incredible news. This is the greatest news on the planet because now, if we're simply honest in our pursuit after God and in our love for other people, it means all that we need is the grace of God. The law shows us where we fall short, which is great news because it allows us to recognise just how wonderful the grace of God is. If we don't recognise the severity of our sin and that sin separates us from a perfect God, then we will never be able to fully appreciate the enormity, life-transforming, life-saving grace of God. A grace that says you don't have to measure up, I've done it for you. You don't have to be good enough, I take you as I am. The grace of God. I wanna invite everyone just to close their eyes and bow their heads right where they are. We're about to finish up and, you know, maybe you've never heard a message that was so heavily focused on commandments and laws and things like that, but I hope that, God has spoken to you about the lengths He would go to to ensure that you could be back in relationship with Him. It has never been about you being good enough because all God ever wanted was to know you, to have a relationship with you, to know you closely. And in a moment, I'm gonna pray a prayer. And I invite you to pray this prayer with me. I'm gonna pray it out loud. I'll invite you to pray this in your heart in just a moment. And if you were to be honest, you're sitting there right now and you're like, I've tried to measure up by being obedient. And I'm not saying don't be obedient to the Word of God, but you need to understand that there is an amazing freedom that comes when you realise that in your pursuit of doing that, God's grace covers your mistakes. I'm gonna pray a prayer that's gonna allow the forgiveness of God to fall on your life. You're gonna leave this place completely forgiven, a fresh start, a brand new beginning, and you will never be the same again. If you mean that you want to get your life right with God, you're just one prayer away. I'm going to pray this out loud. You pray to God. Say, "Dear Jesus, in this moment, I recognize that this is my day. This is my moment to get my life right with you. I thank you, Jesus, that I don't have to perform my way into a relationship with you. I simply need to come with my surrender. God, I ask for your forgiveness, and I thank you that you forgive me. I thank you, God, that you went to a cross. You died, you paid the price that I deserve to pay for my sin, and you rose again three days later. Because of that, I can have freedom, I can have new life. I thank you for that. God, I choose to turn from my old way of life and place my hand in your hand. God, it doesn't all make sense, but I know that you can be trusted. I'm sick of doing this in my own strength. I'm sick of trying to do this life my own way. And I want you to do this with me. I want you to guide me in this life. I declare that you are my God and I am your child. With every eye still closed and every head still bowed. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to do something nice and brave. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand just for a moment. I'll see it, you can put it straight back down. I'm gonna count to three. I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand. One, two, three. Put your hand up right now. Awesome, 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 awesome. Yes, there's people all across the place. Eyes are still closed, awesome. Is there anyone else? You prayed that prayer, you meant it. If you were to be honest, Jesus is not at the centre of your life. I'm gonna wait just a couple more moments. I feel like there's at least one more person. You don't have to get your life in order first. Awesome, thank you. God sees you as you are, He loves you as you are and He wants a relationship with you today. Is there anybody else? Awesome, thank you so much. Look, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to thank God for the lives change. And as I finish that prayer, I invite everyone to stand up, lift up a massive shout of praise, and then we're going to go into a praise song to seal what God has done. Let's, let's pray together. God, I thank you that you're a good God, that your grace truly is enough for us. It is sufficient no matter where we are, no matter what we've done. Your grace meets us in that place. And I thank you, God, for the hands that went up over this place. They're not just hands, but they represent transformed lives. And I thank you, God, that your promise is to draw near to these people, that you would walk alongside them, God, that you would show them the purposes and the plans that you have for their life. God, I pray you would bring the right people around them. This is just the start of the most incredible journey. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we stand to our feet? Can we give God some praise?